Ephesians chapter 5. And I'd ask you guys to continue to pray for these parents and, and want you to know that they recognize, in fact, I talked to them about this, that when they stand up here before this body, they're inviting this body to speak into their lives. And so if, they, if you recognize it in their lives, they're not walking or parenting, they're walking with Christ or parenting in a manner that is, that is such that is consistent with the word of God, they're inviting you to let them know. Now, they're not inviting you to nitpick and nag them to death, right? There's a difference. But they're inviting you to let them know when you see the pattern of their life is such that, that it doesn't reflect what they want um, as godly parents. And so um, I want to make you aware of that. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Let me pray. Lord, we pray this morning as we Look into your word as we contemplate your gospel and its effects on masculinity. Lord, that we would understand your word properly. That we would understand your gospel and that we would rejoice in it. And Lord, that we would understand how it affects what it means to be a man. What it means to be a husband and a father. And Lord, how it not only has implications for our salvation, our justification, but it has implications for our sanctification. It has implications for our very being of what it means to be a real man. Lord, I pray that you would help us understand that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you read the paper yesterday, you saw two things. One, that my sermon topic was announced, and two, that I'm able to get in trouble while on vacation. Somehow it managed, but my sermon topic was announced in the actual paper, which was surprising to me. Um, apparently, the media got a hold of my newsletter that went out and found it interesting that I would be preaching on masculinity on Father's Day. And uh, I know that's shocking to everyone here. But in case you don't read the newsletter or you ha didn't receive it, I, I want to read to you what I wrote that got their attention. As I prepare to preach this coming Father's Day, I am struck by the cultural irony that faces us. Our nation is celebrating fatherhood at the same time that our state is legalizing marriages that cannot produce children. In other words, at a time when we should be reflecting on God's gracious provision of masculinity and the appropriate role in sexual behavior that accompanies it, we are instead upholding a perversion of God's image and intended order. Sadly, our culture has tossed aside a biblical view of marriage, sexuality, and the differences between men and women. While we rigorously engage our political system to fight this, or we should rigorously engage our political system to fight this grave evil, we should not do so while holding on to it ourselves. We should not denounce Sodom while holding on to Gomorrah. What do I mean by this? I mean that the church has frequently not been dissimilar from the world. We see divorce, adultery, sexual immorality of various types, role reversal, and abandonment of biblical parenting happening throughout the church. We need to strive to be different from the world so that we can properly witness to it. For this reason, I am writing my first sermon targeted at one of Hallmark's holidays. I am writing on how the gospel informs masculinity. Most specifically, I am preaching on how it instructs men on how to be husbands and fathers. So that's what the sermon's about. What does that mean? How does the gospel inform masculinity? And um, you might be asking this, and I'm going to deal with this question first. How does this apply to me if I'm a woman? Because I don't want to be masculine. That's good. That's a good thing. Now, I'm going to say this. Much of what I'm going to talk about and how the gospel applies masculinity also applies to femininity. So I don't, I don't want you to get me or informs femininity also. So I don't want you to get me wrong. I am just by application bringing it to the men today. The realms of application that I'm going to be talking about are targeted at the men. However, you can take many of the same principles. In fact, I would 
argue with, the, with a few, with a couple exceptions, all the same principles into your life as a woman and apply them obviously a bit differently. And I also want to say that it applies to you in this way. If you're not a married woman, then the characteristic that I'm talking about today is one of, I would argue, the first probably characteristic you should look for in a man. Some of you are out looking. Look for this, what I'm going to talk about. Look for it first. If you are a married woman, then you have the opportunity to pray for the men in your lives. The man in your life, I should say, huh? <laughs> we haven't gotten to polyamorous, but you are raising boys, future husbands. So I guess it's not so inappropriate if you understand the context. But you have the opportunity to pray for them. And, and I'm going to say this, um, wives. I'm not saying that you should hear what I'm saying a godly husband is and then go into your prayer closet and cry out to God, why me? Okay, and then come up with your plan to systematically nag him to death until he becomes that. Not what I'm suggesting, because wives can do that just like husbands can do it. And I'm so I want to be clear. Husbands can do the same thing. I am saying that you're supposed to live godly in Christ Jesus before them and pray for them. And that's how you will see them change into the men God's called them to be. I'm also saying to some of you wives who, who are living godly in Christ Jesus before your husbands and who are praying for your husbands, that you should keep it up because your wisdom doesn't go unnoticed. Your godliness doesn't go unnoticed. At times, you may feel like your godliness, like your efforts to love your husband goes unnoticed, go unnoticed, but they don't go unnoticed. In fact, um, as they mature in Christ, they will recognize it more and more. And they will begin to see you as sages. In other words, they'll begin to see you as someone they can even get, garner advice from, and appropriately so. Um, as I've matured in Christ, I recognize more and more the wisdom of my wife and the godliness of my wife, and I learn from her. There are other godly women, by the way, in the church. Some of you are older and now widowed or older and and um, your husband's left for some reason, and, and, and now you're this older woman in the church around all these younger women and men, you can be a godly sage to them. You can be wisdom for them. I, I can name a woman right now in my life. Um, her name is Rosalind Strode. She's 71 years old. She doesn't go to church here. But she, that woman knows the word and knows theology. And if I want spiritual wisdom, if I want advice, she is probably in the top... Three people I call. She may be the first person. I don't know, Teresa. She probably might be the first person I call. I don't call a man first. Because I don't know too many men that are as wise as her. And so women, please don't think that as you're going along life's path and your husband is not following along with you in the way that you want him to, that God is not going to use your you're striving after godliness and you're walking with Christ in the lives of other people and even in the lives of your husband and children. I, I don't want you to think that's the case. So I don't want you to feel left out in that regard. When most people think of the gospel, they don't think of how it actually informs what it means to be a man or how they parent or what kind of spouse they are. In fact, generally, when masculinity is talked about, even in Christian circles, the implications of the gospel have little place in those discussions. Most of the discussions about masculinity, frankly, are highly reductionistic. Do you know what I mean by that word? Meaning they reduce masculinity to one sort of thing. For example, they reduce masculinity to a set of physical characteristics or to a set of emotional characteristics, or to role, all of which are certainly included, but none of which is comprehensive. So what masculinity is, is often reduced to describing the physical build and anatomy of a man, as opposed to a woman. Or what masculinity is, is reduced to describing how men are wiredly, wired differently in communication and emotional skills. 
or what masculinity is, is reduced down to the role of being a husband and father, and that's it. As a result, we have whole books. You guys know this? Whole books that are dedicated to building men's ministries that are focused on taking men out to the forest to shoot their guns, right? And to eat steak and to drink beer. All preferred activities. However, not a comprehensive definition of what it means to be a man. Or... Uh, We have books talking about building men's ministries that teach them how to get in touch with their more emotional side and reflect on their past and how it's affected them. Generally for men, not preferred activities. And not the comprehensive definition of masculinity, but fair enough. Probably needs to happen more. We have books that talk about how to get men into your church by changing the aesthetic. Right? So that... Um, The church doesn't look like a church musically and doesn't look like a church in decorations that is targeted at 40-year-old women and their children. Whole books talking about this. How do you set it up so that men are attracted and want to come to it? That's why I don't have pulpit flowers. I think chicks would have pulpit flowers. No, I'm kidding. All right. That's not why I don't have pulpit flowers because we don't want to spend money on pulpit flowers. (laughs) My point in all this is not to say that we should dismiss these aspects of masculinity. I don't want to say we should dismiss them. My point is that if we stopped there, we would be woefully short of what it means biblically to be masculine. We would be reducing it to these kinds of external behaviors, physical characteristics, and psychological considerations. And we would fall woefully short. So what else is included then in biblical masculinity? What else is it to be a man? How does the gospel transform what it means to be a man in my family and in my church and in my vocation and in my community? Well, I mean, the the Bible tells us several things about being a real man. For example, we know that real men love God and others. We know that real men fight for the truth. Real men sacrifice for the gospel. Real men care for and protect their families. Real men are humble and gentle and compassionate. Real men are self-controlled. Real men trust Jesus. Real men forgive. Real men pray. Real men read their Bibles. Real men worship God. I could go on and on, by the way. I could list several descriptions from the Bible of what a real man is, but I'm going to hone in on one this morning. I'm going to hone in on one and I'm going to hone in on four applications of it or realms of application for fathers specifically, but for all men generally. And that one characteristic that I want to focus on today that I think is most informed by the gospel is that real men love and they love sacrificially. How do I come up with the concept that the gospel teaches us that sacrificial love is a masculine characteristic? Well, I do so by looking at the persons of God the Father and God the Son and by looking at their work in the gospel. Now, I don't want you to get me wrong and think that I'm saying that it is not also the responsibility of a woman to love sacrificially or that it is not also a characteristic of a woman who's in Christ to love sacrificially. However, I am saying that it is a characteristic of a real man. If a man does not love sacrificially, then he is not fully a man. You hear that? He's something less than masculine when he's selfish. So I want to look biblically at the father and the son. Both the father and the son loved sacrificially, didn't they? And they taught us something about true biblical masculinity in doing so. So what I want you to gather is the gospel has implications for masculinity you may never have considered. So what's the gospel? 
The gospel is that God created us to glorify him, to honor him. We sinned and chose to honor or exalt ourselves instead. And God is a holy and just God who cannot look on sin and therefore he must punish our sin. Thus, we deserve God's just wrath for our sin. However, God loves us and wants to save us. And so he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live the perfect life that we failed to. To pay the penalty on the cross that is due to us. And to raise from the dead, thus securing our salvation. That's simple gospel presentation. How does that teach me that sacrificial love is part of biblical masculinity? Well, first, because my heavenly father, the one to whom I look for an example and whose character I'm supposed to reflect back to him, loved me sacrificially. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world. The father often doesn't get credit, much credit for salvation. You know that you guys notice that? Usually we talk about the love of Jesus. For God, speaking about the Father here specifically, not that Jesus isn't God also, but here in this text, so loved the world that he gave his only son. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians 2, 4, but God who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ when we were still dead. 1 John 4, 9 through 10, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world. You hear that? How was the love of God made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him? In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation or an atoning sacrifice for our sins. I know that it's masculine to sacrificially love because the ultimate example of what it means to be a man is God. Not that God is a man like me, but I'm in his image. And if I'm going to be a real man, then I'm going to reflect his character back to him. And he loves sacrificially. Second, because Jesus, the man who was the first perfect man, right? If you want to find a man and what, a, what masculinity is, you look at Jesus. In spite of the popular trend today, that Jesus was some kind of hippie who walked around with long hair and had kind of metrosexual friends and might have been on the border himself there because he never liked any women and was just weak and pathetic. That, that's, by the way, that's, in spite of all that, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the Bible was a man. And you know how he expressed it? You're going to be surprised when I say it's not that he came out and flexed his muscles and showed everybody how good he was in the football field. You know how he expressed it? He loved people sacrificially unto death. That's what a perfect man does. That's where the characteristic that we are to love as a masculine characteristic comes from. John 15, 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than that someone lays down his life for his friends. Galatians 2, 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
Ephesians 5.1, Therefore be imitators of God and beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and did what? And gave himself up for us, a fragrance offering and sacrifice to God. So if you understand that one of the implications of the gospel to masculinity is that real men love sacrificially, then, then I, simply, men, I want to call you out to do it. I want to call you to be real men. Men who sacrificially love. And on this Father's Day, fathers, I want to call you to be fathers who sacrificially love your wives and your children and your Lord and your church and the lost. You may not be the greatest dad when it comes to teaching your children to build something. Look, I can't even hang a picture on the wall. Seriously, my mom has to come over and help my wife hang pictures on the wall. It's pathetic. You may not be the best in teaching your children sports. Look, I love sports. I, 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 I just practically have an idolatry problem when it comes to the Lakers. But I'm awful. I'm so uncoordinated and slow. And my poor children have to learn from that. My son doesn't have a chance without the gift of God and him being gracious. Or you might not be good at making lots of money. Which for some reason in our culture seems to be considered a masculine trait. It might just be an indication that God's preparing you for full-time ministry. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. But you know what? And you may not feel like you're manly enough to chase off some intruder from your house. So buy a gun. There you go. (laughs) Look, here's the point. I'm convinced that there is not a more important masculine characteristic that you can show your children than sacrificial love. Convinced. So I want to turn you to four specific expressions of sacrificial love or four realms where you need to apply this. First, have you guys seen the bumper sticker? I hate most of the bumper stickers that are Christian bumper stickers out there. I just don't like them. I, I, I just feel like they patronize me and other people. And, you know, and they're usually theologically so screwed up. And I know people usually have good intentions with them. And, and I would never put one on my car, even if I thought it was good, because then I couldn't speed and cut people off rudely, <laughs> you know, because I'd be accountable. The, um, no, I'm kidding. But I'm somewhat. I'm really not, am I? I'm telling the truth. But it is, okay, maybe I should repent later. Anyways. But look, real men love Jesus. Have you guys seen that bumper stick? Bumper sticker? That's right. That bumper sticker is right on. Real men love Jesus. That's my first realm of application or sphere of application for you guys. You want to be a real man? Love Jesus. What does that look like? What does Jesus say the the greatest commandment is? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your soul and with all your strength. That's the first and greatest commandment, isn't it? It's what a real man does. More than anything else, your children need to see your love for God. They need to see that you love Jesus more than your wife. And they need to see that you love Jesus more than them. Do you know what kind of security that will give them? That no matter what, kids, your mom does sinfully, and no matter what you do sinfully, my love for Jesus is such that I will not bail on her or you. Because I love him even more than them. More than you. They need to see a man who will sacrifice for Jesus. Look, I see too many men and am often too much a man who demonstrates time and again that I love work or money or fame or sports more than I love Jesus. 
A man who loves Jesus sacrificially will pay a cost for his love for Christ. He'll walk away from opportunities for the truth. He'll endure persecution. When he has an opportunity to benefit himself at the expense of his relationship with Christ, he'll flee from that opportunity. And it's a struggle. Look, I don't work in the secular world like most of you do. But I am involved in in politics in the secular world. And the temptation to give in to what will benefit me politically is tremendous. However, I love Jesus. His will and approval matter to me more than my will or the approval of man. I'm not saying I don't wrestle with it. But I am saying that if I do not follow in the footsteps of my Lord, I am not loving him with my whole heart and mind and strength. Don't think your children won't learn from that. If you love the Lord more than anything else, they'll learn from that. And if you don't, they will learn from that also. Fathers, I can't communicate more clearly how much they will see that message. Don't think they won't notice if your love for Christ compels you to pay any cost or if your love for Christ is just a relationship of convenience because they will. When I was a youth pastor, I saw, well, hundreds of students, hundreds of students who would get off to college and that would be it in their relationship with the church and with Christ over. I I don't know what the number is. Safe to say probably the national statistic is right. About 85 to 90%. 85 to 90% of the children who grew up in the church where I was a youth pastor walked away from the Lord and his church when they got to college. That's staggering. Isn't it staggering? Why? There's all kinds of reasons. There's, there's a multitude of reasons. And, and I don't want to say um, that it's all the parents' fault, because it's not. But I do want to hear you. I, I do want you to hear what I often heard. I would ask students why they walked away, why they stopped going to church, and usually there was a pretty much a direct relationship. They stopped going to church and then after a while, they stopped walking with Jesus. Because look, we can't do it on our own. And out there on their own, they started to struggle. And uh, I would ask them, Why, why'd you stop going to church? And they would say, you know, I just don't think it's that important to go to church. Say, why not? Well, when we were kids, we only went sporadically. My dad hardly ever went. I mean... We, we missed a lot because our parents had to take us to sports camps or they had to take us to, you know, um, what do you call that? Uh, the private leagues now club, club volleyball or club soccer or whatever it was. And so we missed constantly for that or they had social obligations that we had to participate in. And so, um, I'm not sure why it's important. They're doing fine without it. They learned from that lesson. These students would totally walk away from Jesus. And while it's not all at the feet of their dads, don't get me wrong, they're personally responsible. They learned the lesson well that God is not worth paying a cost for, that he's only a God at their convenience. Men, it's the height. It is the height of masculinity to love Jesus. I can't think of anything more masculine than that. Women, I can't think of anything more feminine than that. Fathers, the greatest example you can possibly provide your children is what it means to love Jesus sacrificially. Second, real men sacrificially love their wives. Look at Ephesians 5, verse 25. So we were there. 
Real men sacrificially love their wives. I'm going to read this. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? And gave himself up for her. You know how much Christ loved his wife? His bride, the church? He loved her so much that when she rejected him, he still sacrificed his life for her. Your love for your wife is grounded in the gospel. Husbands, you're to love your wives sacrificially. What does that look like? Well, most of you are not going to be asked to be crucified on behalf of your wife on a cross on Golgotha, are you? Of course not. So what does it look like? For you, it's not going to probably mean physical death. What it's probably going to mean is death to yourself every day. And I'm not going to lie to you. I I often love myself more than my wife. I'm sure you do too, right, guys? How, How do I know that? When I sit on my backside and expect her to serve me, I'm not showing my children masculinity. I'm showing them selfishness. When I don't give up toys I want for the ben- that I want for the benefit of my family, I'm not demonstrating masculinity. I'm showing my children selfishness. When I, don't, when I fight with my wife and don't forgive as God has forgiven me, I'm not demonstrating masculinity. I'm not showing that I'm strong and she's not going to run me. You know what I'm showing? I'm demonstrating selfishness. When I hang out with the guys incessantly, rather than spending time with my wife and children, I'm not demonstrating masculinity. I'm demonstrating selfishness. When I don't respond to my wife with tenderness, not masculine, selfish. When I try to be funny and joke with my wife, or insult her in some way, not demonstrating masculinity, am I? Demonstrating selfishness. When I think that I always have the right answers and I don't consider the wisdom of my wife, not demonstrating masculinity, I'm demonstrating selfishness. You guys get the pattern here? When I drink too much with my friends, which thankfully I don't, but you get the picture. Or look too long at another woman. Or joke inappropriately. I'm not demonstrating masculinity. I'm demonstrating selfishness. Look, men, we've got to stop acting like our selfish, self-centered, sinful behavior is to be excused by our masculinity. Well, I'm just a man. That's what men do. No. That's what sinners do. That's what the ungodly and unrighteous who are turned in on themselves do. That isn't what men do. You want to see what a man does? Look at Jesus. That's what a man does. A man sacrifices for others. He doesn't turn in on himself. It is masculine to love your wives sacrificially. Fathers, your children need to see you love your wives sacrificially. Third, real men sacrificially love their children. They just love Jesus. They don't just love their wives. They love their children. Now, there are several ways, look, that you could, I could talk about how you love your children. But I really want to talk about them in two categories, at which I talked about during the baby dedication. The first one is this. You need to love your children enough that you will sacrifice your time, your success, your reputation, your recreation to make sure they are biblically trained. What this means is that you may have to forsake moving up the financial ladder or forsake some of your entertainment 
or forsake some of your reputation in order to make time to read the Bible with your kids. Or to teach your kids sound doctrine or to pray with your children or to sit and talk with your children about life or to spend time playing and interacting with them or to attend church with your children or to serve others with your children. You may have to give some things up. I may have to give things up. My wife and I just went through our schedule this last week. And I'm going through trying to figure out what am I going to take out so I make sure that I'm reading the Bible with my kids and praying with them and that I don't miss that consistently. Because it's easy to slide into my recreation or my work or my time and neglect them. And it's wrong. My point is that properly discipling your children, children, men, is going to take time and commitment. And you'll have to give up some of what you want for their sake. That's your job. It's not first the job of your wife. Let's be really clear. Deuteronomy 6.4 and following doesn't say wives teach your children. It says, or mothers, it says fathers, doesn't it? Ephesians 6 says, fathers, do not, verse 4, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Fathers, do this. Look, fathers have all but abandoned this duty in our society. They've left it to the moms. You do it. This is the role of the dad. And any man who thinks that it's more masculine for him to be down at the bar drinking a beer, watching a football game rather than at home, reading the Bible to his children and tending to the needs of his wife is not a man. Be clear about that. You are not a real man. You're in sin. Don't pawn your sin off on. I'm a man. It's garbage. It's not true certainly isn't what Jesus would be doing. He wouldn't be shirking his responsibility to his wife and his kids for his own entertainment. Wouldn't be doing it. I'm not saying you can never go and recreate. My point is that you don't do it at the expense of your wife and kids. It's your job first. If you're a real man, you love your kids sacrificially. Not only do you train them, but you need to love your children enough that you'll sacrifice your time and your success and your recreation and your desire to be liked by them to make sure they're biblically disciplined. A father loves his children and disciplines them. Your heavenly father loves you and disciplines you, right? For your good. And you must do the same. Again, men, fathers are the first ones called to do this, not moms. You need to correct your children when they're in sin. And look, I've witnessed it in my own life and the lives of some of you men around me. That we are far, often far too passive in disciplining our children. And we pass it off to the moms. It's not masculine. I'm not sure, in fact, what makes a man look much weaker and unmanly than some man who is passive while he makes his wife do all the heavy lifting when it comes to the children. Fathers, when you're at an event or at home, you should not expect your wives to stop everything they're doing and discipline the kids when they are misbehaving. You should take the time to do it. It's not always your wife's job. It's your job first. Sometimes it may even mean that you have to leave an event or that you have to upset your children by taking away some privilege, that you have to be the good guy, right? Notice I just flipped that. You thought I was going to say the bad guy, didn't you? That you have to be the one who lovingly disciplines your children.
Love them enough to do it. It's masculine. It's masculine. When I see a man, when I, I was at, I'm going to pick on Bo. The other night I was at Bo's house. I'm not going to pick on you in a bad way, Bo, in a good way. Don't worry. I would never, without your permission, use you in a negative light, <laughs> especially given the guns that you have. But, and I mean the ones on your arms. But anyways, the, uh, um, I was at Bo's house at the Lakers game, and, and um, at one point um, Jackson was, oh, I think it was Jackson was, yeah, I'm hopeful it was Jackson, was acting up, not Rebecca, she's a little small. But um, Jackson's acting up, and, and, uh, and Bo actually picked Jackson up and took him in the other room and dealt with him. He didn't ask Jenny to do it. He did it. And I thought, I was sitting there thinking to myself, there's a man. That's a man. Gets up and takes care of it. Fourth, real men sacrificially love others. And I'm talking about the church and unbelievers here. I mean, others, obviously your wife and kids are included as others when I say real men love others. But here I want to specifically talk about the church and unbelievers. And I want to conclude here. When I talk about real men loving the church, I I want to be clear that the Bible consistently commands us to love the church. Consistently, I have a whole list of scriptures I don't have time to get through. But I'm just going to look at 1 Corinthians. Uh, keep your hand in Ephesians 5 if you're still there. And I'm going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16. I want to point something out to you that I, I find striking. Verse 13 and 14. Chapter 16. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth and he says this. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Hear that? He doesn't say, act like men, and then go on and say, well, now this isn't exactly manly. Let all you do be done in love. That's for women. But um, I just thought, he puts these concepts together. You want to act like a man, a man, then let all that you do be done in love. That's what a man does. He commands you to act like a man. Ephesians chapter five, which is where we were. Verse one and two, which is where I started. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. He's talking about here our love for the church. If you go back to Ephesians 4 in the immediate context, you will see that. For several verses, he's talking about the fact that we're to bear with one another in love. We're to speak the truth to one another in love so that we might all grow up into maturity in Christ in love. It is masculine to sacrificially love the church. The sacrifice doesn't always show up in the giving of your money, which some people think that that's the way it always shows up. Sure, that's one way I suppose it can show up. But it shows up in your time and in your prayer. It shows up in your forgiving and bearing with other sinful Christians. Here's a newsflash for you all. Everybody in the room is a sinner and a whole bunch of them are going to take you off at some point. So what do you do? Find a new church or you bear with one another in love. According to Paul in Ephesians 4, you're to bear with one another in love. That's masculine. It's easy just to find a new church. It's difficult to love other people. Shows up in your your commitment to the pastor teachers of your church. It shows up in your attitude toward the leadership of your church. It shows up in how you talk about decisions that you don't like in your church and whether you become a gossip about decisions that you don't like or not. That's how it shows up in your church. Your children need to see you love your church. I'll give you an example of this. One quick example. There's a guy who's an elder at River Lakes Community Church. Um, his name is George Buell. I remember I was struck by George. He wasn't an elder at the time, but I was struck by something. When I was a youth pastor, 
Um, prior to me being a youth pastor, his son Andrew, um, his oldest son, was was very involved in in the ministry at the church and went to seminary and got trained and is now a pastor. And his daughter became very involved in the ministry of the church and started working in the children's ministry at the church and is still, I think, down south now. I don't know if she's moved back yet or not, but was down south um, serving in a church. His next son, Johnny, you guys have seen here, serving faithfully week after week in the youth group when I was a youth pastor, continuing to serve in churches, now going to a Christian school over in Hawaii to serve Christians there. Their next son, Ryan, their youngest son, every Sunday without fail, there helping with sound in the youth group, serving faithfully. And I thought to myself, how did these children learn to have such a radical commitment to the church? And you know what? I didn't have to look any further than their parents. Their parents were committed to the church, loved the church, loved the church in good times and bad. And they served it faithfully. And they saw that. They saw their dad love the church. And they were different as a result. Finally, real men love the lost. God loves the lost. Simple, right? Luke chapter 15. He rejoices to see even one of them saved. Jesus says, I came to seek and save that which was lost. God loves them. So should we. It's what it means to be a man. It's masculine to love the lost, to reach out to those who've never heard the gospel. It's masculine to love and be kind to your enemies. Your children and wife need to see your love for the lost. It'll show up in your hospitality, the Hospitality to those who don't believe. It'll show up in your sacrifice to see the gospel go to the nations. It'll show up in your outreach to your neighbors or coworkers. You want to know what's interesting, by the way, about loving the lost um, and hospitality and elders? One of the things that it says in, in, in the Bible about elders, those, these are the men who are set apart as the leaders, as the examples to all the other men in the church. One of the things it says about them is they're hospitable. You know what that's talking about? It's not talking about being hospitable to other believers. That's talking about showing hospitality to unbelievers. The idea is these are men who reach out to strangers. These are men who care about the lost and bring them into their homes and reach out to them and love them. Real men love the lost. Your children will learn from you what a real man is when you love the lost. Now, men, I'm sure most of you are feeling, as I am, sufficiently challenged and convicted. And possibly like you have failed, you are currently failing, and you will fail in the future. Anybody in that group? Now, I want to point you back to the fact that while you may never achieve true masculinity, in fact, you will never achieve true masculinity. While you may never be a real man in the fullest sense, Jesus was. You guys hear that? Jesus was. Jesus loved God sacrificially. Jesus loved others sacrificially. Jesus loved his bride, the church, sacrificially. And because Jesus was the man that you and that I fail to be. That you and I will continue to fail to be. We have hope. You hear that? We have hope. Why? Because if we believe we are seen as being in Christ, do you guys hear that? That's why I started with the gospel and it's why I'm going to end with it. If we believe men, if we believe women, if we believe we are seen as being in Christ, being united to him. And so not only are we forgiven for our sins, we are declared righteous. We are seen as if we lived his life. 
we're given his righteousness. And guys, thus we're seen as real men before God. So really, if I wanted to really sum it up, real men trust the gospel. Because apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ, apart from our salvation in him, you could never be a real man. You could never be truly masculine. It is only in him that you are. This truth gives me the confidence to go out and to try to be a man again today and to know that I'll probably fail. But to be able to try even though I know I'll probably fail. Knowing that when I stand before God, I have only one plea. And I want you to hear this. The plea isn't, was I man enough? Or was I truly masculine? The plea that I have is that Jesus was and is. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for... Jesus, and the fact that he was truly man. That not only is he our example of what it means to be real men, not only is he our example of what it means to be a real woman. Lord, he is our example um, of what it means to be a human being in the fullest sense. And he is our substitution. He was a real, full human being who loved you in the way he was supposed to and the way we were supposed to perfectly. He was that in our place. And Lord, he paid the penalty for a failure to be such in our place. And he rose from the dead and ascended to your right hand and was declared to be the son of God in power and is now ever interceding on our behalf. And so we're thankful for him. Lord, I know that I so often, so often fail to be the man you've called me to be fail to be the father you have called me to be, fail to be the husband that you have called me to be. And yet, Lord, I know also that I will not stand before you with any of that as my plea anyway. I will stand before you with just one plea. And that's Jesus Christ. That he was everything that I failed to be. And that he took my penalty upon himself. And he is my righteousness and my justification and my sanctification. And I'm thankful for him as a result. In Jesus' name, amen.